Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Urian Timmer, Director of Global Macro, joins us again for his Global Macro and Markets update. In today's discussion, recorded on Monday, September 12th, ahead of the U.S. CPI numbers released on Tuesday, Urian draws some parallels between today's market and 1994, noting that in 94, the market was not able to bottom until the Fed was done tightening. And the current narrative is that the Fed is not done tightening. Also today, with host Pamela Ritchie, Urian unpacks how in a traditional 60-40 portfolio, the 40 is the most interesting place to be right now, and it looks like the 60 is still going to be at risk for a little while longer. Per usual, Urian has some charts to share, so please head to at Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome back, Erin. We're so glad to see you and hopefully we can persuade you to share some of the incredible stories that are worked through your report this week. It is required reading. Delighted to have you back. Well, it's nice to be back. Um, it, it, it actually does feel good to be back in Boston, uh, our home base, of course. And uh, it's been a, a couple of weeks, three weeks of uh, a lot of traveling, a lot of work, but it's it's good to be back. Fantastic. And we will we will ask you. Uh, to share a little bit about that in a little while. Okay, so here we have markets doing some interesting things on a Monday ahead of a CPI print. Uh, we can read a little bit into whatever's happening today, but certainly we want to ultimately ask you what some of these rallies have been meaning and, and how you're reading them and how we should be looking ultimately in a tightening environment. Yeah, so um, last time we spoke was uh, several weeks ago, uh, I had left things off with saying that the markets rally at that point. Um, that was right before they started falling and now they're rallying again. But at that point, that rally seemed unjustified just because the Fed, um, in my view at least, was further away from reaching the end of the cycle than maybe the markets were thinking. Uh, and that was right before Jackson Hole, remember? Um, and as it turned out, that that was that was actually the right call. So it was nice that as I come back into reality, that I don't have to completely rethink my strategy because it, essentially that's that's how it unfolded. And of course, we know that uh, you know Chair Powell and other Fed officials have been sort of jawboning the markets. The markets were declaring victory a little bit too soon, um, and um, and so the markets started to pull back right after they had reached that 50% retracement level, if you remember. Okay, the first slide we'll look at today is bear market rallies, which was tweeted by Urian at Timmer Fidelity on September 12th. So the markets kind of failed right at that point where if it was a bear market rally, that's where it would have ended. Um, And it did, and I'm not saying it was a bear market rally, but at least that was a point where the market started failing. Um, And then, it got to an oversold condition. So here you see the, the 53% retracement 
if if you know if it's a bear market uh, and a rally in a bear market, uh, you never see a retracement bigger than that. And so the market stopped right at that point and started to come down. But if we go to slide 19, you can see that after that next sell-off. And for us, that slide is technicals. At the time of recording, this was last tweeted on August 15th. Markets did get quite oversold, and that was just you know a few a few uh, days or a week ago. You look at the percentage of stocks above their 20-day moving average; it went from 93% to 5%. Uh, markets got oversold, sentiment got pretty oversold, and now the markets are are bouncing again. Uh, but again, we're still in that same narrative that where you know the Fed is not done. And at this point, the expectations for the Fed's terminal rate have now risen from about three and a half back up to 4%, which is where we were a few months ago after that first really hot CPI report. And you mentioned the CPI tomorrow, that is going to be a, a closely watched report. Uh, so at this point, the Fed's expecting, the, uh, the market's expecting the Fed to go to 4%. We got the CPI report, we got the Fed FOMC meeting next week. Um, and the question is, is 4% going to do it? And, you know, I, I don't think there is much question anymore that the rate of change in the CPI has likely peaked. I mean, it can't go up, you know, it can't go up forever, right? I mean, it went to 9%. Um, but the, the main question is, how quickly will it fall? The tips market, you know, is, is fairly, I don't want to say call it complacent, but the tip market, the tips market, is, is uh, suggesting that inflation is going to go back to the Fed's target of around two and a half percent. And, you know, that would be great news, of course, if it happened. But the question is, <clears throat> how quickly does it get there? Does it get there uh, quickly enough for the Fed to kind of, you know, say, OK, four percent is going to be it or will it prove to be stickier? Um, and so there's a lot of questions. And also, you know, what we saw with that last rally that failed a few weeks ago is that as soon as the market starts to think that the Fed is done, uh, the stock market goes up, bond yields come down, and as a result, financial conditions start to <clears throat> start to loosen. And that in its own, on its own, essentially served to reverse the Fed's tightening. So it's kind of the game of chicken, right? Like the Fed, the Fed can't let the markets off the hook until it really feels like it's it's done with its work. And if it, if the market starts to sniff that out, too quickly, then financial conditions start to ease and then, and then the animal spirits return. And so it's an interesting game of, of uh, psychological warfare, if you will. Yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, so so with all of that, we'll probably come back to so many of those different points. It, the question for you, and you've, you've laid this out in your report, is the discussion of valuation. So if rates have to go up 4% plus, what does it mean for companies grappling with essentially their debt at those levels? Now, let's look at valuation and the two-year, also tweeted on September 12th. To me, this remains kind of my favorite go-to indicator. Uh, and when we had this conversation a few weeks ago, you know, you can clearly point to the fact that the markets were rallying kind of, they, they were getting ahead of themselves. Um, you know, when we look at the two-year Treasury yields, which, um, you know, normally we look at the 10-year yield as a barometer for the liquidity and interest rate dimension in the market. But during a Fed cycle, I like to use the two-year yield because the two-year yield 
encompasses the, 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 the complete cycle of where the Fed is going, whereas the 10-year yield might you know, start to move lower as the curve inverts, which of course is, is what's happening. So at, at the at the lows, um, you know, a few months ago, back in June, uh, the the two-year yield suggested that the market was worth about 15 times forward earnings. And lo and behold, the market did bottom at around that level. Never got cheap, but at least it was fairly valued. Um, then we saw a, a big rally, a 17% rally from June to August. That brought the P/E ratio up to 18.4 at a time when the two-year yield just completely did not justify that. And you can see that kind of that spread between the orange line and the gray line. The orange line is the two-year yield, but expressed as a as a P.E. ratio. Um, and then we had the, the, the decline. The P.E. went down two points from 18.4 to 16.7. Uh, and now it's back up to 17.4. But you look at that two-year yield, right? The two-year yield's well above 3%. And so you take, if you express it as a P.E., it suggests that the market's worth only 14 times expected earnings. Um, the good news is that earnings are holding up. Second quarter earnings season was was pretty good. You know, three quarters of companies uh, beating estimates by about 4%, so a fairly typical earnings season. Uh, but even though earnings are holding up, the valuation, you know, driven by where the Fed is going is not supportive of a of a big rally here because earnings growth is slowing. So it's not like we're going to get you know, accelerating earnings, supporting higher stock prices. So it really has to come from the rate side. And the rate side is simply not cooperating. And, and you know, we saw the same thing in 1994. Next, 1994 and 2022 tweeted on September 13th. You can see that during 1994, and that was a much more modest bear market. It was only a 10% decline over a year. You can see that that purple line was the two-year yield. The market was not able to bottom until the two-year yield put in a top. So, in, in other words, until the Fed was done tightening. And, and, you know, I don't know that this cycle is going to play out exactly the same way, but it suggests to me that, you know, we need for the Fed to be done or close to being done before the, we, we can, we can, we can turn this ship around. And that suggests to me that, uh, there is still some more weakness ahead, whether that's a new low, or a retest, you know, remains to be seen, of course. So, so then how important is tomorrow's number? Um, I, I think it's important, but, you know, when you look at commodity prices, you look at, you know, used car prices. I mean, I, when I, you know, um, I had to do all my, all my shopping for Burning Man back in Reno a few weeks ago, you know, things are on sale. So I, I get a, I Not have a pretty food. good, do you mean not food? not food? That's not right. Food. And actually, you know, all the utilities that we had to buy, which we had to prepay for, were were off the charts. But I, I think Burning Man happened at peak inflation this year, so we we all we all we will we all got a, a taste of that. I think we paid seven U.S. dollars for uh, a gallon of diesel uh, for our generator. So, but but I do get the sense that that uh, things are moderating as the economy uh, is slowing, as, as it should. Um, and that, you know, the inflation number, it's really going to be a question of, you know, is it going to be higher or lower than expected? But it's not. I think we're past the point where the, the year over year change is all of a sudden going to be at nine and a half instead of nine or, or eight. So I, I'm not expecting a lot of surprises from that perspective. But I think it's, it is a question, uh, an important dimension of what the market's pricing in. 
is one is how far will the Fed go, right? So it was three and a half, now it's four. Maybe it goes back to three and a half, maybe it goes to four and a half. But th that's only part of the, of the story. The other part is how quickly will it come down? And you know what the markets have priced in, and maybe if we go back to slide four, you, we can see it. And for us, that slide is the Fed and the market, tweeted on September 13th. This will be followed by U.S. monetary policy, tweeted next on the 14th. Is the markets are pricing in that Fed's going to go to four and then go back to what is considered a neutral policy per the, the Fed's dot plot. Um, and I think that's another very important point, right? So, yeah, here you can see the markets expecting 100 basis points of rate cuts after the peak, which will be in the next six months or so. Um, and I think if the market is wrong about the Fed, it's going to be there. It's not so much whether it's four or four and a half or three and a the half. Neutral, the markets can, the, the market, rate is, yeah, the, the markets can, exactly. The markets can adjust fairly quickly to that and it doesn't have to be the end of the world, but the market's pricing in a return to neutral. And this is another, I think, uh, <clears throat> uh interesting angle. If we go to the next slide. I have a little playa dust back in my throat still. That, that's actually a very common thing. You know, the dust on the at Burning Man is so fine. It's an alkaline dust. It gets in your eyes, your nose, your your throat. And so playa cough is actually something that people get. But um, but, but but back to slide five. Um, I think one one um, dimension or or thesis that I think is not really appreciated in the market is that. The Fed seems to think that a neutral policy is two and a half. You know, you look at the dot plot, the Fed's long term median dot is around two and a half. Well, they told us that. I mean, they, they did say that emphatically, that it is yes. two, even though years ago they said it could be around two. But they yes. have said recently emphatically that it is two. So. Yes. And, and actually, if you go to the old, old Taylor rule back before the financial crisis, neutral was always considered two percent. And that was the that was like the, the plug number in the Taylor rule. And then the Fed realized that neutral is a moving target. And you can see that very smooth blue line there. Uh, that is the that's our star. That's the Fed's version of the neutral rate. And it should be a new moving target. I mean, it changes depending on conditions in the economy. And interestingly, the Fed has stopped publishing its its version of our star uh, two years ago during the pandemic. But you can make a regression model and, and kind of guesstimate at what it should be. And that's that little orange line section in the chart. So by my estimate, our star is moving higher, which means that a neutral policy uh, is is a moving target that's moving higher. So rather than two and a half percent or you know basically half a percent real, um, I think it's closer to one percent real. You add in, let's say, four percent inflation, which is what the tips market expects over the next year. You get to a five percent neutral rate, uh, nominal neutral rate. That that's not where we are. We are at a zero percent real neutral rate in terms of what's priced in, right? So four percent on the nominal Fed funds rate, four percent on the tips curve over the next year, and then it drops down beyond that. So maybe two and a half is not neutral. Maybe three and a half or four is neutral. And if that ends up being the moving target in where this the Fed's going to end up. Then I think that that leaves a lot of room for repricing, not only in the stock market, but in the bond market. So from my perspective, that to me is is where I'm spending most of my time thinking is what is neutral? And if neutral is higher than where we or the Fed thinks it is 
and the Fed needs to go above neutral because, you know, high inflation requires tight policy, then maybe the Fed ends at five instead of at four. So That's not a prediction, but it's it's a no, possibility. It's, so, so I think, what would it mean for the bond market? So the equity market is, is going to mean companies' valuations perhaps have to come down. What, what does it mean for the bond market? Yes. So for the stock market, it means, you know, 14 is the new 16, right? We were thinking that 16 times earnings was fair value. Maybe that's 14. And right. And you look at and, you know, it may sound like nothing, but, you know, you take expected earnings of $230 per share. 14 versus 16 is is a couple of hundred S&P points. You know, 14 would be new lows for the S&P, 3300. So it's 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 not insignificant. Uh, for the bond market, it suggests higher yields, at least from the start of the yield curve to the belly. And then it just becomes a matter of, you know, um, to what degree the bond market starts to sense that the Fed's going to is going to break something, that we're going to have a recession. Right. And we're seeing this already in the yield curve and other indicators. Of course, we've had negative quarters of GDP growth already. So a recession shouldn't shock anyone. Um, but but so the, the question is, to what degree does the 10 year and the 30 year start to respond to those dynamics rather than uh, just the inflation dynamics? Which is sort of, you know, voicing growth outlook, essentially, yeah. when, you're, when you're looking further out. What do you make of Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, who, who I mean, we don't really know why she hasn't spoken much. Some will say she's been sidelined a bit in the recession discussion slash inflation discussion, but she certainly came out uh, just in the last several hours and said that a soft landing of sorts is still possible with with some luck. Yeah, I mean it's it's possible, right? And and if the and if if the neutral rate uh, does end up being higher than what the Fed thinks, then you know in a way that actually suggests that the economy. Is stronger than we think, right? I mean, because otherwise the neutral rate would be lower because the neutral rate is based on productivity and labor force growth <clears throat> and and things like that. Um, but you know, if I if I were Janet Yellen and I was speaking on behalf of the administ the incumbent administration who is uh, in the you know about to have a midterm election, right. uh, I would not want to be saying the R word too often because if we know one thing, it's that. Uh, People vote with their pocketbooks and and, uh, you know, uh, presidents who who undergo. Uh, and of course, it's only a midterm election. It's not it's not the presidential election. But um, if you're in an economic recession, it, it tends to not bode well for the incumbent party, whether it's presidential election or the or the midterms. And of course, these are will be the midterms. Uh, so it's it's certainly not surprising that um, that the recession scenario gets downplayed. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost because we haven't heard from her all that much. It almost yeah. makes you wonder <laughs> why, why now. Yeah. But anyway, it, it was kind of an interesting comment. Like that's maybe that's just me. Um. Okay. So ultimately, who knows what tomorrow's print brings us? But uh, in any case, planning for perhaps a higher neutral rate, whatever neutral is. What? Where do we seek potentially inflation protection? Where do we seek? Uh, returns, knowing that yields may stay higher. Uh, what do we do with all? The next slide we'll reference is real yields, which was tweeted on September 14th. I, I think the long end of the of the bond market, um, whether it stays at you know we were at 3.3% on Friday, the peak in the cycle was 3.5. I mean I don't know where it's going to end. Maybe it goes higher than that, uh, but 
in my in my view, the closer we get to a higher terminal rate for the Fed, uh, the more plausible it is that eventually we do get your typical end of Fed cycle recession, which, of course, it wouldn't be the first time that that happened. Right. It's uh, generally speaking, that's how a Fed cycle um, ends. Um, and, you know, here we see, for instance, real rates, as expressed by the tips market, they're at around half a percent to one percent at the long end of the yield curve, you know, fives to all the way to tens and, and thirties. Um, they probably will need to go a little higher. If you look at the, this, this, um, this picture, since the financial crisis, the average has been around, you know, one plus one percent. So that, and that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Plus one, generally speaking, in an expanding economy, real rates should be positive. It's very unnatural for them to be negative. Um, and so if we're going into a tight financial, uh, in, uh, financial policy environment, maybe they should be one to one and a half percent. That shouldn't surprise me or, um, or, or anyone else. Uh, but you know, three and a half on the long bond, three thirty on the ten year. I think there's some value there, uh, knowing that maybe they will go a little bit higher. And if we go to the next slide. Next up, we have tips break evens. At the time of recording, it was last tweeted on August fifth. You can see again that that tips curve. So in this chart, I show the the core PCE year over year change in the in the orange and the CPI year over year change in the purple and that number will likely come down and I suspect that tomorrow's report will will support that. Um, and then if the tips market is correct, we're going to go back to two and a half percent inflation. And if that's the case and the 10 year is at, let's say, three and a half or maybe four at some point, um, there's going to be value there, right? Because if you hold these bonds to maturity, you're going to get that yield. So if you buy, let's say the 10 year goes to four and it's not, not a prediction, but let's just say it goes there for the sake of argument uh, over that 10 years and inflation ends up being two and a half over that same period of time, at least you're getting a real return. And, and so I do think that real yields are going to become more positive as the Fed pushes further into kind of the restrictive zone. Uh, but, you know, in a 60-40 portfolio, I think that 40 is probably the, you know, the, the most interesting place to be right now, uh, even if we don't catch that, that, that yield high exactly. Because from what the, we showed earlier in the math, the valuation math, it looks like the 60 is still going to be at risk for a, a little while longer. And then, uh, and, and of course the 40 hasn't worked so far, but I do think that the further we push this cycle forward, the, the, the more, the, the, you know, the better that 40 is going to start working. Right. And the discussion of where bonds belong in the yeah. portfolio maybe maybe is something to crack open even further. We'll, we'll finish there. I, I'm very curious your thoughts on, on burning out. If you just keep leave a couple of thoughts with us yeah. on, on your experience, just because we weren't there, but we'd love to know yeah. what you felt. <laughs> of course. Let's go to slide 24. I'll, I'll keep it brief. So for us, Erian's fascinating pictures can be found by scrolling back just a bit, posted over a few days in and around September 5th. So, you know, Burning Man is Burning Man. It's the first time it's it's happened in three years. And uh, most people, uh, especially those who haven't been there, you know, they think of it in a certain way, a big party in the desert. Uh, that certainly is part of it, but it's it's by no means the, the biggest part, at least not for me. Uh, so Burning Man is for me is a good way to kind of get re-anchored 
um, to kind of get my my medicine, if you will, uh, in terms of true, you know, human connections and the nonlinear artistic side of things. And so, you know, this was one of the art pieces, and I thought it was highly highly relevant because when you're there, you know, one of the tenets of one of the principles of Burning Man is immediacy and and you know just being there and being present uh, i think um is what it's all about that does that's not to say that there isn't a lot of spectacle if we go to the next slide uh you know at night it it is a pretty surreal landscape of lights and sound um and uh if we pull that yeah so wow. this is like your this is like your typical scene and this is in the middle of the desert right so this is a temporary city of 80,000 people uh that springs to life but but for me this year, I, so I, I lead a camp uh, called Feed the Artists. We, we make food. And for me this year, curating that camp, uh, and what we do is we, we pull about 80 people together. We make them work in the kitchen. We, we cook 500 meals a day. We feed the artists. And to me, the story in the next slide, slide 26, is really about those people and curating that community and having those faces, these are only a few of the faces um, in our camp. But to me, that's what that's what keeps me coming back. It's, you know, the art is fine. Uh, the music is good. Uh, you know, the party is great. But uh, but to me, coming back year after year, uh, those things kind of wear out because it's hot, dusty. It was especially hot this year. Uh, it was in the hundreds every single day. But but the the camp vibe and having that community and again these are the most interesting people i know like the, the you know so it's a very eclectic almost eccentric group of people from all walks of life all countries lifestyles you name it um and to me that sense of very of of a tightly bonded community of people that i otherwise would never get to know um that's to me that's what burning man is about it's powerful i, I i'm so Glad you enjoyed that and like uh, could share it with us because I think community is obviously what it's all about. And look what you created. So thanks for joining us, Yuri and Timur. As always, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts, and don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thank you. See you next time.